You know it's no secret that Disney has a long history of using queer-coded characters to represent villains in their films. These villains are often depicted as being effeminate, flamboyant, or otherwise abnormal, and they often serve as a foil to their more masculine, heteronormative heroes. And while these characters may be seen as harmless by some, they can be incredibly damaging to queer viewers and young audiences. The queer-coded villain trope is extremely problematic as it reinforces damaging and outdated stereotypes about queer people. It also sends a message to young viewers that queerness is something to be feared and despised. That's why today I want to dive into how this kind of messaging can have long-lasting effects on how LGBTQ plus people are perceived and treated in both society and in media, and why it's vital that Disney take steps to create more positive, authentic, diverse depictions of LGBTQ plus characters within their media. So let's start by establishing what queer coding is and a little bit of history behind it. So the term queer coding comes from Vita Russo's novel, The Celluloid Closet, which discusses queerness in film throughout time, and it defines it as a term used to say that characters were given traits or behaviors to suggest that they're not heterosexual or cisgender, and without the character being outright confirmed to have a queer identity. So basically embodying queer stereotypes, but without being explicitly gay. And now this could be done by the writers either consciously or unconsciously, and there's never really a sure way to know what someone's intentions were when they were writing characters. Now, if you think back to the 1900s animation, queer coding villains was a really easy way for animators and designers and writers to designate a character as different, usually saddling them with a bunch of like cliche gay stereotypes that the audience would then digest and associate with evil. If that's not a clear demonstration of the demonization of queerness and its equation with villainy, I'm not really sure what is. Queer coding is really heavily associated with the Hays Code, which was strictly enforced starting in 1934 all the way until 1968. Now remember that this is a set of industry guidelines for the censorship of content that was applied to most motion pictures that were produced in the United States at the time. Um, It claimed to keep films presentable and safe for the public, which meant that a number of topics and depictions were strictly forbidden, which include any positive portrayal of LGBTQ plus people. And now, again, this could be conscious or unconscious, but it's still harmful as it's playing off of history's real-life stigma against LGBTQ plus folks and the association with immortality and sin. So one might say it's just a cartoon or it's just a movie. It's not that serious. But let's examine Disney's clear influence and power over children's media. Children's animated media is an important part of socialization, and Disney films in particular carry a high level of popularity with many children watching Disney animated films repeatedly. I know that I've seen Frozen way too many times to count, thanks to my little baby cousin. But when it comes to children's media... Disney holds the largest market share of 33% in kids' viewership. So this means that out of all of the children's media out there, at least one-third of it is produced or owned by Disney. And the number of Disney Plus subscribers reached a new high of 164.2 million within the fourth quarter of 2022, 
Walt Disney's combined direct-to-consumer subscriber count, including Disney+, Plus, Hulu, and ESPN+, Plus, all amounted to around 235.7 million. And this is surpassing its competitor Netflix in terms of the number of subscriptions. Out of the content that's available on Disney+, Plus, a rough estimate is that about 63% of it is deemed to be children's media. Disney's role as an agent of socialization is so pervasive that some suggest that they have at least as much power as schools and families within the role of socialization and passing on values. And although Disney is criticized for their portrayals of gender norms, beauty standards, and love narratives, among other things, I think that it's really important to note that there's a potential for these films to also have a positive impact on child development. Either way, there's no denying that Disney definitely has influence when it comes to both in-theater and at-home entertainment. Many Disney movies have themes or morals that we can learn from the films, with messages like embracing who you are from Frozen, I told you I've seen it way too many times, or just keep swimming and be perseverant in the times of struggle from Finding Nemo. So Disney has clear influence and it could be used positively or negatively, and I think that it's really important to examine this unique position that they hold. Now it isn't necessarily about the character being gay or not, but more about the fact that these negative stereotypes and harmful tropes are being used to link villainy and queerness. We take these queer or gay stereotypes and then associate them with the fictional villains that we know and love from our favorite Disney films, but then we link the villains and queer people, which perpetuates these harmful tropes and stereotypes and can play off of people's real prejudices and fears about the LGBTQ plus community. When you take this on top of the fact that there have been very little significant LGBTQ plus representation within animated films, it makes it even more pervasive and problematic. And that is until recently uh, when Strange World came out. I just found about it when I was writing the script for this video. And so I will report back later on this in a future video. And I'm also including this statement for future destiny for accountability so that I don't forget. <laughs> Little White Lies magazine summarizes this really pervasive and problematic trope when they say, coupled with the studio's devotion to heteronormative relationships, the queer coding of Disney villains reveals that there may in fact be a troubling agenda at play. Happily Ever After only seems to apply to straight couples. In Disney movies, it's implicit that heterosexuality is right and homosexuality is wrong because it is the villains who attempt to prevent the prince and princess from being together. So queer coding looks different for male and female villains. There are so many that I could name, but I want to highlight a few especially problematic ones. Let me know in the comments below who your favorite queer coded villain is and your thoughts on the ones that I included in this segment. So for male queer coded characters, in many examples, this looks like the sissy trope. Um, and so we see this trope in characters like Hades with his lipstick, his martinis, his limp wrist, and literally flaming blue hair um scar with his limp paw and his very campy mannerisms for example in the film when he says this i shall practice my curtsy and governor ratcliffe with his darkened eye makeup and manservant who tends to his and his dog's every need 
My biggest gripe with Governor Ratcliffe is that he's not set up as the villain because he's a colonizer or even because he's in charge of the mission to invade the Powhatan Nation, but as Disney frames him as a villain digging for gold. While I was writing this script, I found a really great article by Longreads called Deconstructing Disney, Queer Coding, and Masculinity in Pocahontas. I, of course, will leave it below. But they say that Disney gets inventive when they need to circumvent white people's historical responsibility for genocidal atrocities. And what better way to do it than to displace the heart of the film's conflict onto contemporary cultural anxiety, queerness, and its incumbent specter, masculinity. The rest of the article is really, really good. Again, I will link it down below. And it's sad that we keep seeing this trope of the sissy and this question of queerness and masculinity be played over and over and over again. Because one would think that Disney might have learned from its mistake and would stop making flamboyant queer-coded villains, but nope. Wreck-It Ralph came out in 2018, and King Candy is a cruel, pink-wearing conflagration of damaging queer stereotypes. He's even called a Nelly, which is an old offensive term for a gay man, which now is seen as a homophobic slur. Now moving on to the female queer-coded characters, one of the earliest portrayals of this queer-coded character was the very first on-screen villain, which is the evil queen from Snow White. And now the animators were inspired by actresses like Joan Crawford and played up things like her unemotional nature, her role as a single older woman in power, and gave her uncharacteristically female physical attributes like a deep voice and a strong jaw that intentionally or not implied queerness. And she wasn't a conventional woman, and so viewers at this time would have understand that and recognized her to be queer. The Evil Queen's main gripe with Snow White is her beauty, which she seeks to steal through seduction. Again, a classic device used by queer-coded villains, only further suggested that she's a threat to the hero and the norm. Another example of a queer-coded female villain is one of the most famously queer-coded villains ever, who's Ursula, who was literally based on the drag queen Divine from John Waters' film Pink Flamingo. And while researching for this script, I found a really great paper called Hook, Ursula, and Elsa, Disney and Queer Coding from the 1950s to the 2010s, which argues that Disney, even at this point, has the power to portray positive or even neutral queer representation. But on the contrary, despite Disney's reduced moral responsibility, Ursula's queerness still ties her directly to her villainy and evil. Her desire to become a queen serves as her primary motivation, which connects drag queens to villainous behavior. And I think that Disney's use of this queer coding on its villains really added a further stigma to a community that at this point was already struggling to be seen and accepted, especially at the time of their Renaissance period, which is noted to be one of the greatest, like most successful periods of Disney production. And it's about a decade after the beginning of the AIDS epidemic. So we already have a community that is struggling to be seen and to be heard. And I think that using these queer-coded villains, especially in such a great and noteworthy time for Disney within their production, playing off of that time period, it just it seems incredibly pervasive. 
this feels especially pervasive now because of the recent rhetoric and violence against the drag and LGBTQ plus community. There have been like over 300 anti-trans bills. There was the Club Q shooting and just all of these really tragic things that are happening. And while the queer-coded villain isn't the only thing at play within this type of violence and harm towards the LGBTQ plus community, I think that it's just old, worn-out trope that needs to retire. It's nearly 2023. It's time to expect more honest and authentic portrayals of LGBTQ plus people. So this all begs the question, how can we strive for better LGBTQ plus representation that showcases the rich and diverse perspectives of those who are part of the community? And I think that it's important to note that quality of representation absolutely matters. Rowan Ellis has a really great video essay where she explores some of the nuances of queer representation within the media and what impact it has. I definitely recommend checking it out and all of her content because it's really great. I'll leave it below. But I am wondering what can LGBTQ plus inclusive cartoons look like if Disney isn't the one leading that work? So, for example, Cartoon Network has Steven Universe, which is a coming-of-age story about Steven and a team of extraterrestrial beings, which are known as Crystal Gems, and they have sworn to protect Earth. The show has a same-sex proposal and wedding with a kiss, and it feels like true, authentic representation. Well, technically non-binary femme presenting lesbians because the gems are genderless, but still really great representation. And the show's creator, Rebecca Sugar, who is non-binary and bisexual, said it best in a conversation with Insider. If you can only exist as a villain or as a joke, I mean, that's a really heavy thing to be saturated with as a kid. Thankfully, gays aren't just the villains anymore, and we have a growing amount of positive representation in animation these days. All this to say that we can still love our favorite Disney films, but I think that we can also be critical of the harmful stereotypes and portrayals that it creates for the LGBTQ plus community and the way that they are represented in mainstream media. And now while Disney isn't the only company that employs these harmful tropes, I think that they are extremely influential within children and family media and they should be held to a high standard for the images that they create and perpetuate. Thank you so much for exploring this trope with me. I uh, would love to hear your thoughts below. Um, as always, thank you for watching. Remember that you are important. Your story matters. And I'll see you the next time. Bye.